Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Good evening. Talk Radio. Good morning. Ooh. That's the introductory music. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Poets of Superhighway Live. My name is Rick Lupert. I'm here with my good friend Brendan Constantine, and it's a special edition of our show where we will be having a conversation about our two new books. Brendan, say hi, Brendan. Hello. Good to have you with me. Thanks for coming out for the show. My pleasure. My new book is Death of a Mauve Bat. It's uh, out on... Uh, Ain't Got No Press, and Brendan's new book is... Calamity Joe. Which is new from Red Hen Press. And uh, so we're going to be in conversation with each other about our two books and talking about the concept of the through line. That's the name of the show, Through Lines. Uh, Brendan, your book, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been referred to as a novel in verse. It has. Uh, I actually have a problem with that statement, uh, but but uh, it, it has been uh, so uh, described. Uh, and uh, I actually prefer that it's uh, the idea that it's a psychology in verse, but we'll get to that later. That's cool. So um, should we should we go beat up the people who referred to it as that? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, I think. I think we're lucky to have anyone interpret our work any way they will. We have no control over it. All we can do is be grateful for their regard. So what do you think then uh what do, what do you think they they were getting at um the term through line or I'm sorry with with the term novel in verse. I mean, where where does that connection come from where it might make a little bit of sense in terms of Oh, certainly. Uh it's I yeah, I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a bad uh, uh, description. It's just it's one that I'm wary of uh, because although the uh, the book does have a cast of characters, uh, which is I think a little unusual for for a poetry book, although I have seen it done, um, it 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 has all the trappings of a novel because there is a family story, but I'm wary of. That's only because uh, there is a big resolution at the end. Uh, the uh, speaker certainly discovers some things and decides some things, but it, at least on, from the writing end, was more uh, an experience of uh, my learning more and more about this person, and I felt that. Uh, you know, I wanted to arrange something that would be like meeting someone. And so, so I certainly understand why people would go into that and they would say, oh, there are these, there's a consistent group of characters, there are events, there's a before and after for a lot of these events. Clearly, this is like a novel, this is more like a story than just a book that is that appears to be a sort of randomly assembled collection of poems. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I loved the through line through it. I loved meeting all the characters. I loved that they they showed up again and and you learned more about them and and the things that they were uh you know doing and involved in and where they worked and the things that they worked with. Um I loved that the, that your father kept showing up or at least a character of the father kept showing up in, in the book and uh knowing your father of course it and i'm sure not everyone who reads the book knows your father but i'm i'm lucky enough to be one of those guys and um so i kept picturing that guy you know um, wandering around and saying things or reacting to the things that you were saying and it was really for me in particular it was an extraordinary experience i i think almost you should introduce all of your readers to your dad maybe you know a house oh, by house I mean, he's certainly, uh, you know, any, you know, if you're going to write about a father, your writing will always be influenced, I would imagine, by your own experience of having a father, whether uh, whether you had 
you know, a close one or a distant one. But the father in this book is not my dad. You know, he certainly, you know, he certainly is capable of saying things that my dad might say. Uh, but it's not him. Nor is the mother in there. I mean, you know, the speaker is not me. You know, it is this other guy. I mean, the speaker in this has a brother who's dead, a mother who's dead. Uh, both my parents are alive. I, I don't have uh, I don't have a brother by blood. Uh, I do have a sister. There's there's you know this is, Joe is not me. Uh, but uh, yeah, I can go on about that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> All right. Well, no problem. Um, so um, I don't know. Should we start off reading a? a you want to read a poem from the book? Um, sure. Why don't I? Um, Take you in in a particular way. The book does have, uh, as I said, uh, a kind of cast of characters. It begins with a cast in the order of disappearance. Once you get past that, there is uh, there are two quotes that begin the book, and I like I like to present those. The first quote comes from Frederick Nietzsche. What is done out of love? Lies beyond good and evil. Second quote comes from Leo Tolstoy. Frederick Nietzsche was stupid and abnormal. <laughs> Which one do I believe? I exactly. <laughs> so I'll take you into where Joe lives. Now, don't give out his actual address. We don't no, want I won't. people to... You might recognize the neighborhood. Uh, I frequently introduce this piece by saying that Joe, like me, and like many of you out there, I hope, was raised within the sound of easy listening. <laughs> this is difficult listening time. A flock of pink flamingos moved in across the street and set up plastic people on the lawn. They, they faced them out this way, and molded to their chin, looking more like us as night comes on. Downtown, the waitresses are starving in their aprons. The water gets fainter by the hour. It's difficult listening time, object response time, time for the tears of things. There has to be a way to help it along, a way to dry the rain as it falls so we can keep these clothes. Let's go to the woods and hang a painting in this room on every tree. We'll go see, and on each sailboat, fix a picture of a hotel bed. Or how about we stay home and talk out every song between us until we sound like heavy, stupid. I love that poem. That was actually uh, the one. I'm glad you picked that one because that was the first one I, I wanted you to to read. As a matter of fact, I, I, I you have in your work what I, I I didn't know exactly what to call. So I, I not observations but observations. Uh, make, um, the 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 vision of of you know being at sea and putting up you know pictures of of hotel rooms uh, of course is the opposite of what you'd experience probably in a hotel room uh, where you you know might see pictures of the sea and um as someone who follows you on on Facebook and and Twitter and I'm sure people listening are, are people who've seen your posts you frequently have these kind of really hilarious observations of things that turn kind of normal things up uh, upside down um, I'm wondering, um, with those kinds of comments, you know, sometimes they'll appear in a poem like they did in the one that you just read, and, and sometimes they just, they're there on Facebook and people have a good time commenting on them. When you come up with these things, do you, do, you know, is it, do you think, oh, this might appear in a poem someday? Do, do, what makes it graduate from just a funny thing that people might comment on to something that will show up in a, in a poem? Usually it just starts out because it's, you know, as absurd as an observation might be, I'm really entertaining what it would look like. And, you know, the poem, this poem is a good example. It begins with the idea of pink flamingos 
we're used, used to, to seeing, you know, made of plastic, plastic and put on people's mm-hmm. lawns. Uh, this, the consequence here is what if, you know, what if actual flamingos had plastic people on their lawns? And I'm really picturing that. And uh, and usually these observations sort of start not just because I think, oh, this will get a bunch of people laughing, but because I like this really momentary feeling. I mean, it's it's nanosecond. Where, where very, very familiar things become unfamiliar and strange, and I find that I'm, uh, I'm very, very briefly able to rediscover a sense I had of the world when I was very, very small. And people were pointing at things that they regarded as commonplace, which looked completely absurd and whacked to me. And, uh, and I think... That's, that's where I'm. Where I'm um, that's also in a strange way where I'm most in love with the world and most, most in love with humanity itself. Are in those moments where the things that we regard as commonplace are suddenly raised to distinction, and I'm reminded of how impossible, unlikely, absurd, uh, completely arbitrary uh, they are, and. Um, so, so when, when I come up with these things, I'm not necessarily thinking of a poem, by the way. It's just something that popped in there. I go, oh. And, and I'm kind of God. I can't believe I'm actually telling you this. You're kind of God. No, I, I kind of feel like um, I didn't mean to say that. What I meant was I was having an epiphany. I realized that in a strange way, I'm catching kind of a buzz from each one of those. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's just, it really is. But there's sometimes like something like a good one happens, and there's a moment where I kind of go, yeah, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I have let's... the same experience. I, you know, I frequently think of things which, which I think are hilarious, you know, and I, I'll, you know, I'll catch myself, or more often than not, my wife will catch me laughing at something, and there's no one in the room, no one has said anything. I've just so delighted myself with, with some kind mm. of observation, and she'll, she'll just kind of say, all right, what did you think up now? You're right. So pleased with, you know. So that's kind of a normalizing uh, element, I suppose, when she reacts like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, I think it's also, I mean, I think it's part of, uh, I think it's, it's, it's part, part of something very, very young, uh-huh. you know. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's probably, probably a very healthy thing to, yeah. you know, uh, look, at, look the at the ceiling and still have that thought that goes, what if this yeah. whole house was upside down? <laughs> we would have to walk among the lamps and step <laughs> over the, uh, you know, yeah, step over the headers to get from room to room. And you must be ready for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I spend hours, you know, imagining that one as a child. You know, going, oh, if this was upside, what if, what if the whole house was floating in the ocean? What if, you know, what if you were instead of falling down, you fell up? You know, and what would you grab onto? And uh, you know, all that Doctor Seussian stuff. It's a great filter, and I, I think, you know, I, I don't know if you've had this experience where when you come up with these things, people might tell you uh, or have the observation, you know, I've kind of always thought that, but I never really thought it strongly enough to say it out loud, and I'm so glad you did because it just it just kind of made so much, it was such a delight to hear, you know, that this filter. Gets... When I react to it in other writers, I find that a barrier of some kind does feel like it's been let down. And maybe that's one of the things that makes it attractive to me in writing sometimes is that it's it is a way of breaking it down a barrier between myself and the reader. Uh, you know, if I can find something like that, that might be something which you've always wondered about. I mean, I realize this is kind of a non-statement. I mean, basically all I'm saying is that if I can find something that the, you know with which a reader can empathize, then then I can command their attention. But I am particularly interested. If those uh, those experiences that do result in a kind of common disorientation that we've all felt, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to get, you know, uh, a kind of you know sadness or a kind of joy that we might all recognize, but particularly the things that I'm interested in, as far as building a rapport with a reader, uh, are our mutual bewilderment, our mutual. 
uh, disorientation, and and that allows me to then uh, to come at joy and fear and pain and pride and love through that sort of back door. it does make sense, and I, the concept of bewilderment does too. I think um, someone can be, especially hearing your work, can be delightfully bewildered. You know, That's kind of you to say. Thank yeah, you. So cool. All right. Well, you're listening to a special edition of Poetry Superhighway Live. This is Through Lines with me, Rick Lupert, and my good friend Brendan Constantine, who uh, traipsed into the valley to uh, so we could. Uh, do this show for you. Thanks for listening. Right on. Let's see here. I've got uh, some questions for you. We're going to turn, turn some table. tables here now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the the uh, uh, concept behind True Lines today was also an opportunity for Rick and I to sort of interview each other. And... Uh, now I'm going to bounce some questions off of your host. I put on my special interview pants. I'm actually here in the studio, and I can see them. And uh, it's it's probably a mercy that this is radio and not uh, and not video right now. Uh, first of all, everyone would need HD to uh, really be able to appreciate this. Um, uh, analog really just wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't do justice. Uh, first of all, uh, four or five people could get in these pants with him. And when I walked in, I assumed originally he had chosen them for their acoustics. They're enormous. But uh, uh, anyway, so he's actually sort of propped up against the wall because there's no way he can bend his legs here. So. They actually have their own zip code. Do they really? Yeah, that's a, that's a pair of pants. They're worthy of their own show. I'd like to talk to you. You and I have known each other uh, since an evening in 1995 when I came walking into the Cobalt Cafe. You had already been hosting the Tuesday Night Poetry Reading at the Cobalt Cafe for a while before you and I met. Yeah, I took it over in 94. So this is, okay, so, uh, so yeah, so it's 18 years doing that and 17 years you and I knowing each other. And yet there's a lot of stuff about your work that I've never had a, I, you know, I've never had a chance to uh, talk to you about. You know, I think sometimes the closer you are to somebody, the more awkward it might be to ask them questions about their craft. You know, well, why do you want to talk to me about that? Just hand me the ketchup. Uh, so I'm finding this whole experience awkward. <laughs> but I, uh, for people that um, uh, that may not be as familiar with your career. Uh, I think a good place to start is with this, which it's not even really a question. It's more of a statement, but I think it demands a response. Your latest book, Death of a Mawthat, is your 16th independently produced collection of poems. It's your 16th book. You don't have, Do you to, have any sort of a response to that? You don't have to say that so accusatory. I, uh, uh, it's true. Um, it, two of those books are collections that I edited. Uh, I, I assume that's that's how the, you got up to 16, because I, I have 14 of my own books. And then I edited the book, A Poet's Haggadah, a past poet's, poets reinterpreting the uh, traditional Passover text. And then a, a recent one, which you're actually in, the Night Goes On All Night, which is uh, was produced in conjunction with the L.A. Poetry Festival's Noir series that happened earlier this year, Noir-inspired poetry. And and yes, there are 14 other collections of, of, of my work. Yeah, I was going to say, do, do your worst. There's no way that you can really qualify this. That's impre- that's, I've known you for 17 years, and there have been 16 books produced under... Uh, probably probably more than that under Ain't Got No Press, yes? Uh, well, technically, uh, although they all are currently released under that uh, that press, 
which is my own press. And the, a few of the earlier ones were originally released on other small presses. Um, Inevitable press and that kind of right, thing. Right, yeah. The, the the series out of Laguna Beach where they published a chapbook every week at, at their reading, uh, Lizard King of the Laundromat, was originally mm-hmm. on that. And, of course, Brendan Constantine is my kind of town. Uh, uh, no pun intended. I still... No, no pun elocuted, actually. Uh, and uh, I still get the... I, st- I just got another letter about that. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to try to maintain order here because now we've turned this into 13 possible questions. First of all, uh, Rick is referring to uh, a series that uh, used to exist called the Laguna Poets, and uh, their host Pat Cohey, uh would invite different readers to come out every week. And as a means of paying those poets, astonishingly enough, he would produce a completely new chapbook of their work and have many copies of it available for that author when they showed up to do their reading. And they could sell those books for whatever they chose. And uh, that was how you were paid for your featured reading. If you can imagine not only running your own poetry reading, but producing a new book for your featured guest every single week. And it was an astonishing amount of work. Uh, and many of us were lucky to get some of our first books uh, uh, compiled. Anyway, uh, uh, one of the books that Rick is referring to has my name in the title. And uh, originally it was produced as a gift to me. And then uh, he decided that he'd develop this project into something larger. And uh, now it's been available for quite a few years. And I still, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, got another letter from somebody saying, can you explain this book title to me? Are you in it? Or what does it mean? When the book first came out, actually, when it first went along and started to appear online, uh, members of my family began to write to me saying, you know, what is this? And, and all, all of them, without, without fail, at some point asked, why would anybody write a book about you? <laughs> but moving right along. So I used to say about that, you know, uh, people would ask you, you know, your family would ask you, you know, it, it, there's a book about you. I've never even heard of you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, so you're not going to deflect this uh Fourteen collections of your own work, fourteen books of poetry now, um, produced uh, uh, at least currently, uh, you know, under your press. And uh, I mean, that's that's quite amazing. There are a number of ways I think to to come at this one. I mean, one could have a conversation about just uh, the advantages or otherwise of independent publishing. Uh, you know, the remarkable uh, uh, output to have 14 collections of your own work in 17 years. I mean, Paris, It's the Cheese, the first book, had come out right around the time we met, or was coming out. Yeah. And uh, since that time, uh, I've seen, you know, it seemed to me that you were always working on a new collection of some kind. And uh, that these collections came out of a variety of experiences, but that you just kept them coming. And um, uh, that's astonishing to me because I know that each one, you know, uh, was, you know, you worked very hard for them. And, uh, you know, you weren't doing it because you thought it would be funny to have a lot of books. So now at uh, 14. I, I, you know, I find that uh, there's there's uh, there's almost uh, there's almost too much. Uh, you yeah, I wouldn't even bother. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I uh, and what I where I want to go, where I want to start with the, with this new book is uh, there's some interesting things about it. I find as though looking at it, uh, there are some there are some things that I've seen from your from the very first. Uh, some of the listeners out there will no doubt not be familiar with the the entire span of your career and and some of the earlier publications. Uh, and it's interesting because in the very first pub, in the very first publications, I you know was aware of a voice that uh, unlike you know me with this new book, uh, I've never seen you throw 
wall up and say, oh, the speaker is not me. I've always had a sense that the speaker in, in your poetry was almost always you. And uh, the observations that you were making were observations that you very much wanted to share as you with the world around you and that the, the audience uh, in a strange way is also a kind of character in your work. And uh, a character with whom you have history, which is really kind of interesting. There's an intimacy that you set up right away. And one of the things that's astonishing about that is, you know, what would be astonishing about anybody joining a conversation late and being able to pick up right away. I mean, you start us off in a very familiar fashion. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if I pick up book number one or book number ten. You very, you very quickly get us on a one-on-one level and are able to ask us very personal questions and share with us very awkward juxtapositions. And I often feel that you really, in a strange way, are asking for answers from us. And so at first, you started us with a conversation back with Paris that that, that conversation is now ongoing. Can you address that at all? Does that sound right? Well, first of all, I I think that the what what you said, which actually appears on the back of the book, the idea that I establish intimacy, you know, very quickly with uh, the reader is is very kind and humbling, and I really appreciate that a lot. I mean, I I, I definitely um, appreciate poetry when I read it that that is instantly kind of accessible that I that I know what's going on and and can immediately sort of picture myself in it um I I don't mind working uh at at poetry that isn't so opaque necessarily um and I and I do enjoy kind of the you know surreal imagery where I don't necessarily know what's going on um but you know the books most of them as as you know are travel books they're all kind of written you know, on location in a particular place over a very short period of time. And um, you could almost, with some of them, look at them as if they're kind of one long piece, perhaps, you know. And and if you read anyone, my hope is that not only will you enjoy the pieces on their own, you know, and, and that ideally you'd be able to pick them up at any point and read from any point, which I know is something you mentioned you, you kind of hope even with, with this new book, which does have a, a through line, um, is is that there is kind of a – that you get a picture of the whole experience, you know, um, uh, that that you um, that you could almost use it. You could almost take the book along with you to a, you know the city that uh, that 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 I'm you know talking about and and kind of. You I know, was going to ask about that. Yeah. Have you ever considered uh, tagging your books uh, as travel books uh, for their distribution? To, you know, so that I mean, you've covered enough ground now. I mean, from Paris and England, Israel, North Dakota, uh, <laughs> Canada. Have you have you ever considered you know Trying to market them that way, at least for their uh, for their online presence, and it's a good question. I I definitely have used the word travel and the city or country name in putting keywords in place when I have to fill out the publication forms online and such. So, in terms of like an actual marketing effort, uh, um, I haven't you know contacted the North Dakota. Chamber of this latest know. book. I mean, I almost feel that in some ways, this latest book and the one before it, you could, you could actually, you could actually say to a potential audience, this book will help you get through a trip uh, to Canada. Maybe you know, I was having a conversation yesterday, another radio show that where I was being interviewed uh, uh, yesterday with uh, Jessica Houston, and she's actually uh, from. My cat just sneezed. Excuse me. It happens all the time. Um, I'm not familiar with that part of Canada. <laughs> it's it's southern, okay. southern eastern. Um, she she is actually from the two cities that the last uh, books were written in, and so she was particularly delighted to 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 be brought home. Basically, she was saying it was such a joy to read these books, in particular in Toronto, which she hadn't been to in years. To she just felt like, oh, that place. Yes, you know. So. For her, at least, there was a, a definite, you know, celebration of the place when she was reading through the poetry, and I, and, I, and so I, I can hope that 
that if someone kind of brought it along, it's obviously not your typical travel guide that says, you know, you know, go here and here's the address and blah, blah, blah. Though I think in one particular book, I, I went to a restaurant that I was so fond of that the entire poem was just the website of the of the restaurant, and I and, and it was it was something like do yourself a favor, go here, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there is a legitimacy to the travel, you know, travel guide, travel log component, you know, of, or, or aspect of the books. I want to uh, tread very carefully through the next few moments because there's some information that I definitely want uh, uh, the audience to have. Um, so. I'm going to try to rein in some some answers here. I want to make sure that we hear some pieces from this. First of all, you made a reference to uh, you know liking to liking poetry that allows you to get on board right away and that is accessible and uh, and at the same time being able to enjoy a certain uh, amount of obscurity. Tell us about the title first of all, "Death of a Moth Bat." Well, it's it's a good question, and um, I uh, uh, the funny thing to say right now would be I have no idea what it means, but I actually do. It's it's from it's a pop culture reference. It's sort of a, a double layered pop culture reference. One is the the actual words "death of a moth bat" are what the Joker um, in the old Adam West Batman series um, called his blank canvas that he turned into an art contest in one of the episodes of that show. Um, he called it Death of a Moth Bat. Um, and uh, and it, it appeared, the reason why it shows up in this book from Toronto is we were in uh, the Museum of Contemporary Canadian Art and there was a, a video playing that was produced by the performance artists uh, group called General Idea. And they, they produced a video called Shut the Fuck Up, which was a, a documentary of their... Um, of the art show they did in Europe, which consisted of them painting giant canvases uh, using blue paint and taxidermied poodles. That's right. They actually held poodles dipped in paint up to the canvases. Yeah, and so you can actually go to YouTube and and search for General Idea or Shut the Fuck Up and watch both parts of it. It's kind of interesting, uh, definitely very postmodern and avant-garde. And, you know, part of it is this documentary of this art show that they did, and the other part... Um, is is actually the scenes from the Batman episode of of this art contest where the Joker is painting and turning in this blank canvas, which he again calls Death of a Moth Bat. And this immediately spoke to you, and it spoke to you as a potential title for this collection because... Well, you know, I, I want if if you look at all my titles, they're, they're all, I hope, kind of striking in, in some way. Um, to say the least. It, maybe I'm thinking of you know, up liberty skirt, uh, you know, or uh, uh, I'm a Jew or you is another. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a marketing technique, and I just hope that someone will like the title enough to to want to pick up the book. But um, you know, I, I think it's it's part of the presentation. I mean, I'm you know, I, I do graphic design and stuff, and I and I think that you know every component of something is is important whether it's the way the flyer or the cover looks um in addition to the poetry on the inside and so when when typically when you know after i have a collection together i i'm looking through all the poems and pulling out a few phrases to try to see which ones i think would would sort of fit my model of a of a book title and right. there are, even a title like i'd like to bake your goods a <laughs> uh, book that came out uh, you put out in 2006 that does seem uh, a little more straightforward than this which does seem i mean as you said this is this is a pop culture reference in the in the title and and a comparatively obscure one uh, and you know i'm i'm curious you know how how hard do you want uh, an audience to work for some of this stuff or do you feel like you know it's fine if it's never explained uh, something like this, just so long as it's. I I don't you know I um you're right this is this is definitely the more obscure of my book titles but yet the phrase on its own and and with with the kind of image uh, on on the on the cover which which was a figurine um, that appeared at the Royal Ontario Museum in in Toronto 
Um, uh, you, you may get it and you may not, but I think on its own, it's, it's striking enough. It, 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 it invokes a, a certain curiosity that might, might make people say, well, what the hell is that? And, and pick it up, you know, as opposed to pass it over, even if they don't, if it's not as blatant as, as I'd like to bake your goods. I'm going to ask you to read a few pieces. We're going to go uh, into the book once again, uh, folks. This is a means of sort of illustrating the kind of voice that, uh, that Rick Lubert is able to command uh, to immediately sort of get us on board with him. Uh, the first section of the book uh, is called Everything Starts with a New Jersey Wedding. And I'd like, I'd like uh, you, Rick, to, uh, to, to take us into that very first poem in the book and, uh, and, and the amazing way that we are just suddenly with you and taken into your confidence. Uh, on this trip. Sure, this is called They Discuss What to Do in the Event Lightning Strikes the Car. One suggests we must exit the vehicle without touching the frame. Another says, no, once lightning strikes, it is done. It is only when a downed power line is touching the car that you must exit carefully. I suggest it would be better if the car is manipulated so it doesn't come into contact with electricity. There is much agreement. It's very, very dry uh, and uh, almost abrupt uh, ending. Uh, but, but the kind of understatement that... Uh, and that allows me to appreciate uh, your work 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, three days uh, after I've read it. Um, I'd like to uh, have you do uh, another piece that I also think is, is kind of interesting uh, in that. If I'm correct, you're able to also just sort of get us uh, together with you know who you are and uh, uh, certain details in your life uh, very uh, very easily. My wife appears in this poem. It's on uh, page sixty-one. Tired dogs, unrefreshed cats. Would you take us through that? Sure. This this was at the end of a very long day, um, walking around. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a when it, when I'm I love traveling and I love, you know, when traveling, doing three or four things a day and going to as many, you know, really getting to know a city by just hyper being in it. Um, so this is kind of before dinner at the end of a very long day of doing stuff. Tired dogs, uninterested cats. Addie asks what we're doing tomorrow, and then the next day. It's not that she wants to know. She is tired, and her questions have the potential to stall our elevation from the bench when walking would begin. She spots a cat in a patch of nearby trees here under the CN Tower. It's not that she's particularly interested in cats. She just knows that I will go and attempt to mingle with the cat, further delaying the walking to wherever it is we might be going. The cat is not willing to mingle. Our feet will soon be walking. Now, not only with the weight of the day upon them, but with the heaviness of the cat who disappeared into Canadian dusk. The heaviness of the cat who disappeared into the Canadian dusk. Uh, that's a great ending, though. I mean, that's. I mean, the way you're talking about walking, the you know the, the sort of confession about you know. Uh, this, this interesting sort of confessional window into what you believe your wife has to put up with uh, uh, living with you. But then, uh, even, in, even in this almost comical way, you know, sort of walking away carrying what might have happened, uh, there were a number of sort of silly jokes that you could have gone for. And instead, you end on this, on this really nice image that is sort of haunting and allows, and allows us to, to come out of the home with a picture. Uh, and, uh, and it's something I've seen you do where 
I'm, I'm having, having a good time in the poem. I'm having fun, fun in the poem. And then there's this little shift to something that is quieter, something uh, that is a little more intimate. Uh, one of the other things that's always been remarkable to me about about your work, it's kind of, you know, and, and it's going to take us to other topics, topics, but it's also very, very much related to this one. Uh, you're used to very short poems. Uh, I've seen, seen you over the years conjure up poems that, that were not just, just a little, little shorter than their titles, a lot shorter than their titles. Uh, you know, a poem that might have a title that's five lines long, and the poem itself is three words. Very short, uh, uh, sort of, uh, I almost feel as though they're, they're poems on the order of a kind of psychological map coordinate. You know, you're sort of saying, okay, this is where we are right now. Checking where we are, and then, and quite often you'll have changes in them. Uh, one of my first questions is: is I feel all sorts of writers when I'm seeing possible influences. Over the years, have uh, made a point of holding up uh, Richard Brodigan as uh, an influence. I also see uh, I see uh, Jacques Prévert, and I even see Robert Creeley. Um, this, this, ex- this experience of a, of a super short poem, is this something that just felt organic to you? Is this something that was specifically something that you saw somebody else do and they gave you permission to do it? Or how does this come about? Well, Brodigan for sure has a lot of very short poems that mm-hmm. um, that are either funny or not, but which, you know, which give you, you know, everything he wants to give you, you know, in just a short kind of thing. And very often... You know, my poems, I, I really just want to tell you this one observation, and um, there really isn't a need to to build it up or belabor, you know, the, the getting to, um, I don't know, that punchline is the right word, because sometimes it's, it's a funny observation, or at least I hope. Uh, and certainly if you if you do the, the workshop tour, I mean, you, you know, you'll, you'll sort of, you know, you'll encounter... Uh, uh, an attitude I think a lot of among a lot of writers, you know, that oh my God, you know, I get one good idea every six months, you know, and you know, if I get an interesting idea for an observation, then I'm going to build that out into a three-page poem, uh, you know, that you know why, you know, and certainly, you know, if you're if you're going through the editing process and you're starting with the beginning of the poem, you know, with the beginnings of a poem, someone will say, okay, yeah, now now build this out and tell me more. Now build this out and tell me more. We're used to hearing that a lot. And uh, and it's interesting. You say there's no need to belabor things. Well, you know, I really think that poetry, at least, you know, is about the economy of language. You know, I've heard that bantered about um, before, and it just makes sense to me. I mean, say um, say what you want to say in as few words as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of some of the titles being longer than the poems uh, you know when i write the pieces in particular on the go when traveling i'm not i don't write the titles i just write whatever it is i'm writing and sometimes the title will come from the first line that i that i'd written you know and and i noticed actually this is in 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 your collection in calamity joe um in in the um the calamities section and the other two sections that that really, you know, one poem flows into the other, very often your titles um, are the first word or the first phrase in the the poem. Uh, And in in a couple of cases, I actually noticed that it it really worked either way. You could start with that and, and it goes right into it. And in other cases, you could use the title on its own or have it go right in as the first phrase. And so I'm wondering in particular with these sections of, of your book, were, were these all written at the same time? And th- these three sections that you have, there's um, the uh, the calamities, the formalities, and the calm, which are three distinct sections yeah, in your book. You know, in some cases, the you know, taking an unexpected left turn back into my book. Okay, it's uh, there was a, a rock in the road. I had to. Okay. Um, where you know sometimes the the title of the next poem will come from a word or phrase at the end of the previous poem, and I've seen this done in in, in various poem cycles, crowns and things like that. But it was did these various sections all come from one session of writing, or how does that how did that work? They didn't come from a single session of writing, certainly, but they did uh, they did 
they were enabled by a realization that I made, uh, you know, in, in trying to, uh, in my first efforts with this with this manuscript, where I, I discovered that uh, doing it in this particular fashion allowed me to move about in a, a series of topics in a fashion that seemed to me very much like the way someone thought. You would think, think about, about something for a little while and then some conclusion uh, or observation that you had made about something that was on your mind would lead you into the next thing. And these poems and these... And these they're, they're, the book is divided into three sections. Each section has a lot of poems that sort of that are about a variety of subjects, and then each section will then contain uh, a, a part that has a chain of poems, and those are what you're referring to. And those... Chains of pieces do sort of represent uh, how Joe thinks, and so they're they're various and they they move around a lot of subjects. They start out very naturally, but it's just sort of happening by itself. I started to write one piece and I realized that the image with which I or the statement that I ended on could be interpreted in another way, and I could take it into another direction. And in so doing, I found that I was learning more and more. Beautiful ones. David St. John has a beautiful novel in verse. 
uh, and Carolyn Forche. Uh, there's there's some some great ones, and they really do have uh, climaxes, and they really do you know they really do function as narratives. Uh, uh, I was putting less of an emphasis on that with Joe, uh, but I wanted very much there to be a, a through line, and I think that this is something we can both speak to. I know that personally, I have always opened up a book of poems in the middle. I mean, my, my my instinct, my habit, when I pick up a new book of poems, if I pull one off the shelf in a bookstore, is never to start at the beginning, but to open up right in the middle and start working my way out. Uh, and so when I've been fortunate enough to compile uh, a manuscript of poems, I've always sort of had that in mind. Uh, I'd like to think that you can open books anywhere and find poems that stand alone and work. But if you have, have the time uh, and the inclination to say you're unemployed, that you can start at the beginning if you want and work your way through, and then there will be this, this thread, there will be a narrative or something that will tie a lot of the images together that appear randomly scattered throughout the book at first, but actually tie them together and get a new significance. I tried this very very considered, considered like with my my first book, Letters and Guns, uh, you know, which which has a lot of consistent imagery all the way through, and you know, it's this experience of sort of going through these poems and letters keep arriving uh, that I think enhance uh, and propel the themes to a book. Uh, and Birthday Girl was awesome. The book's still, still brand, brand new for me. It just came out wonderful with, uh, book. Right Bloody uh, Publishing is probably the most like your standard, standard collection of poems, and that it and that um, any true line is not necessarily as conspicuous as it is with these two other books. However, uh, even that book was, was assembled in a way that I I hoped would sort of push you through it. And and they're very they're they're absolutely are these sort of uh, mileposts on the way uh, or leading you through a psychology, through a way of looking at things. There are lectures that appear through the middle of the book. The middle of the book has a lot to, to say about crime and criminality. Um, and, uh, and we're very much led to this in the beginning and led away from it at the end. Uh, and... You know, let, let me ask you. To, I want you to make sure that we actually hear some more poetry uh, from you. There, there's a poem which, which um, I'm wondering how it fits into this idea of the through line, and in particular, um, with 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 Joe and his his whole um, uh, uh, all of his adventures. Um, the one new mass. And this is the poem that I I've heard you read for years and years and years. And this manuscript is very new. And I, I suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the the, the material that 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 is in the voice of Joe or in voice's experience maybe comes more recently, and I'm wondering how if you would a read new math and and b if you could tell us how a poem like that fits into the the world of Joe. Yeah, well, certainly that was a poem that I discovered later on fit with the project. I've always been wary of trying to write specifically a project <laughs> because I worry that the individual poem will then suffer. I will regard I will I will cease to regard it as as its own. Uh, endeavor and just regard it as a part of something larger, and that that will that will take away some of its team because I'm just thinking of it as as a piece uh, of of something else rather than its own complete experience, which should be you know as interesting as I can make it. However, you know, in the process of of following some of these trains of thought that were very much from the beginning, I thought, wow, this is this is all part of one wave. Looking at things, kind of exploring an alternate psychology. Not a persona piece, but, but I like to think something more in tune with something that's attributed to you, uh, the writer Fernando Pessoa, the, uh, the idea of the heteronym, which was not a not a not a persona, not a not a familiar character who you decide you're going to write in the voice of. But an alternate psychology specifically created to allow you to say other things. Uh, and uh, so, uh, there, there, you know, there were a lot of, you know, a lot of scenes in these pieces, the, the poems that are called The Legend of Joe, and these were very much written with that character in mind. But then there are other poems that I found later on seem to really fit. Uh, Joe's character is 
very lonely. Hmm. He works in a house. Um, he, he wants to be, to be in love uh, with, with almost, almost anyone. anyone. Uh, he, he wants to. to uh, he, he, he wants to fix something. Well, he wants. Um, by the way, is on page seventy-nine. If you're flipping through your copies at home. Um, thank you. Uh, and this was an this was an older um, this was an older uh, poem, uh, but it just seemed to fit later on. I looked at I looked back at it and I thought, oh my God, this is something Joe would say. This is this is very much in keeping. With, with Joe. Joe, Joe lives, lives in a kind of magical place. place. Uh, he, he he doesn't, doesn't even know, know, you know, he's not 100% sure of his own sexual orientation. Uh, I should also yeah, add that this is the first time that I've ever been, I've ever, I've ever insisted on any gender for, for my speakers. Hmm. Uh, uh, I, I, I try to keep the voice not only have I tried to keep the voice in my poems that are removed from me, I don't even want you to be certain whether it's a man or a woman. Um, and so this, this is the first time I've even gone so far as to see that absolutely, you know, the speaker is male. But even that, I think, comes into question in this poem. New man. Once I asked myself out on a date. Lunch. Nothing, Nothing big. big. I, I had to say, no. no. It, wasn't it wasn't that, that I, didn't I didn't like me. me. I do. Just, Just not, not that, that way. way. I took, I took it, it hard. That, that night, I dialed my number ten times. It was, it was always busy. busy. I must have been screening my calls. Who, who can blame me? But, but it's, it's all right, right now because I'm a friend. friend. The, only the only time it's at all awkward is in public when, when strange, strange men approach me and say, Excuse, excuse me, are, are you sisters? sisters? And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a wonderful piece. I ever since I've been hearing that for years, and I, I can't tell you how many I've used the word, how many times I've used the word sisters as an image directly because of that poem. Um, partially because I think Thank it's hilarious, you. and partially because I'm thinking of that that poem. My I have a poem not not in the new book called Rules for Poetry, and one of the lines, you know, where I'm kind of listing all these absurd rules for poetry, um, and one of them is. Uh, Avoid vowels and their angry sister, the letter Y. That's a direct result of being familiar with uh, with new math. Um, we have about three minutes left in this. Uh, oh, my goodness. I would love to ask you to read a couple quickly. of pieces. I wanted, uh, I wanted listeners to be able to hear uh, some examples of some of these uh, super short pieces I referenced, and I bet that we could end with your doing uh, a short chain of them from Death of a Mauve Bat, because you do something really wonderful. Uh, you, have a, you have a chain of these that progresses from page 82 to page 86, and the poems are so short that I bet you could take us uh, through those. Uh, Here it goes. These are written um, in the Royal Ontario, Royal Ontario Museum. <clears throat> this first one, uh, The Giant Beaver Skeleton. Oh, I'm sure you can think of something interesting to say on your own about the giant beaver skeleton. <laughs> it's pretty big. We come across the ass of a rhinoceros. It is attached to the rest of a rhinoceros, but we haven't come across that yet. Not going up or down. I thought it was an elevator button, but it was a hole. I put my finger in a hole. No elevator came. Evidence I can't read. I misread the sign in front of the Egyptian tomb of Katinis as the tomb of kittens, which leads to brief disappointment and then relief. And finally, a representation of the ancient kingdom of Egypt. There are no discernible lines showing what would be the current borders dividing places, like Israel and Palestine. Maybe we should do that. Remove the lines. Okay. See, now, if you didn't catch it, that was five poems 
uh, Rick just read. And they moved so easily into one another uh, that you may not get, you may not have been able to tell the individual stops. And then, of course, there's this shift that I talked about earlier on where we're just sort of playing with Rick for the first four poems, and then suddenly there's this change-up. You lead us right into this uh, very powerful statement about removing the lines between Israel and Palestine. We started with a giant fever skeleton. You've got just 30 seconds here. Can you can you talk at all about does that that talent? Uh, <laughs> no, not in 30 seconds. <laughs> you have to assume that it exists. Thank you for pointing that out. That's, that's very cool. Um, I, I get that a lot, that there's kind of a, a dual thing going on with the humor and the other observations. I want to, Brendan, thanks so much for coming out. And, and um, uh, people can get your, your new book, Calamity Joe, online at uh, Amazon.com. Um, you can get mine, Death of a Mob Bat, on my website, PoetrySuperHighway.com. I hope you check them out. Brendan's book is truly spectacular. Thank you so much, Brendan. Well, my pleasure, and thank you for Death of a Mothbat, and I hope everyone will, uh, people who are not as familiar with your work, will take this opportunity to join that incredible conversation that's been going on for 17 years. That's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.